A very good Thursday morning to you. We're with you right through until 12 midday today. We're looking at teenagers' well-being as well and a new study on that. The N59 and some road upgrades, indeed, some significant funding has been released overnight. We're joined by Aware today, and if you suffer from depression, there's a local Galway group, indeed, that meet on a Wednesday. We'll give you full details on that. Uh, we're also looking at organ donation following last night's vote in Dolirin. We're also looking at the Connick Tribune headlines today. Linda Marin, the talented, indeed, author, joins us with her brand new book. The Clockworks are a great band uh, from Lockray that are absolutely flying it. They join us in studio. And ours to protect all of that and more between now and 12 midday today. Good morning to you. Now, very good morning to you. Welcome in to today's programme. The comment lines are all open. If you do want to get through to us uh, today, we would like to hear from you. And you can do so quite simply by calling the following number. 086 38 33 55 3. And you can also call us on 091 77 77. That's 091 77 77. Just be careful out there. There was an almighty sleet charge this morning, just about 10 past 7. And it really did affect road conditions. So just be very careful out on the roads uh, today. Uh, if the sleet and those um, hail um, storms come down on top of you, just be very careful. Now, then, let me go to Caroline, Dr. Caroline Heary, UNESCO's Child and Family Research Centre at the University of Galway, because teenagers in the west of Ireland report a decline in well-being and mental health. And by the way, throughout today's programme, mental health has been stitched right through it. Uh, today, we'll be going to it uh, twice more on this one. But let me go to Dr. Caroline Heary. Dr. Heary, good morning to you. How are you today? Good morning, Keith. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, when, the, when you see the headline, Teenagers in the West of Ireland report decline in well-being and mental health, it kind of sends a shiver down the spine. And I'm sure to parents listening to us this morning, they won't be very happy either. Yeah, yes, I, I appreciate that. I mean, probably globally, we're also seeing a similar trend when we look at all the international evidence around um, adolescent mental health and, and youth mental health. Um, this particular piece of work allowed us to do a deep dive really in terms of understanding uh, the needs of adolescents, particularly in the West of Ireland. So we have um, a large data set on 15,000 adolescents from Galway, Mayo and Roscommon um, that allowed us to really assess and see where young people's mental health and wellbeing is from 2018 to 2022. So Planet Youth is, is um, I a local primary prevention project, which is around um, really improving life outcomes for teenagers in the West of Ireland. In, in our case, in the University of Galway, we received funding from uh, the Health Research Board to analyse the data that was collected as part of the Planet Youth programme. Mm. And we, we set out to look at three things, really. Uh, one is what is the, the, the level of well-being of our young people and what kind of changes might we see uh, over that period of time from 2018 to 2022. And um, we're also interested in looking at, you know, how their experiences of adversity, stressful life events or trauma were connected with their mental health and, and well-being. And, and what were some of the kind of positive protective factors that we were able to identify in, in this group? The, the sample of 15,000 is huge. I mean, that's a very large sample, so that gives you very accurate information. It is. It's the largest sample, certainly, that I'm aware of that we have on, um, I suppose, the, the life circumstances and, and the health and well-being of, of young people in, in this particular region. So it's really a unique opportunity to understand where young people are at and, and identify what their needs might be. But also, particularly from our point of view, trying to identify what kind of supports our young people need based on on, on evidence, very recent evidence that we have. 
But on, on one side, uh, Dr. Heary, we're talking, you know, we're talking about the, um, the survey itself and what you've done and, and that. On the other side, we on a daily basis are getting calls from parents where they can't get access to services for the people that you're very much talking about this morning. Yes, this is a commonly reported um, difficulty, um, I suppose, across the, the, the country, uh, delays and barriers to receiving treatment. Uh, we, we know that um, uh, early intervention is critically important for young people, and it's really one of the key implications of this particular piece of research. When we look at the data over that period of time, we are seeing a decline in how young people globally report their, their general mental health. When we look at um, symptoms of, of depression, we're seeing a decline from 2018 to 2022 in self-reported levels of kind of depressive tendencies is what we refer them to. And when we also look at their well-being, which is trying to put a more positive, I suppose, uh, frame on it. We're also seeing a decline in, in, in well-being. And I suppose we know that for those young people who are struggling, um, that timely intervention and early intervention are, are critical. They are, but I mean, for parents even listening to us uh, today, um, and, and, and the, the survey is, we have to take the survey extremely seriously because, again, from a Department of Health point of view, they should be putting structures around this to make sure that you know, the people who need services get services, but that's in an ideal world. But for parents that are out there today and, and hearing the news that we're talking about, which I, we have to bring into the open domain, it has to be there. And But for those parents, then they're, they're concerned as to where do they go. GP maybe is first point of call uh, on this one. And then from there, where else do they go to try and get help for the young people in question? Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, I guess seeking help is, is an important first step when we see, um, you know, when we see significant differences in our young people's level of, of functioning and, and their mood and how it might impact uh, them on a, on a day-to-day level. GP is, is typically the first point, point of call. Thereafter, I suppose there is an increasing emphasis on, I suppose, primary care supports um, and having community-based supports for young people. So, for example, in in Mayo, the development of uh, of Mindspace uh, Jigsaw services are also, I suppose, being developed at different points across the country. Th- these particular services are. Um, I suppose, good models of, of early intervention. We need more of them uh, and we need timely access to them. But they're a model that work really well. And we've seen that not only in Ireland, but also in internationally um, because they tend to be youth friendly. Like I said, the timing of intervention also t- tends yeah. to, to be really important. Can we go to other um, key findings from the research as well? Adversity. And uh, again, it's, it's, it's part of a big body of work within the report. Yeah, so this is a really key focus uh, w- within the, the research that, that we've conducted. When we talk about adversity, we're really talking about the experience of stressful or traumatic events in a child or young person's life. And traditionally, I suppose, from a research or science point of view, they've tended to look, I suppose, at particular forms of adversity in, in the family. So things like uh, maltreatment, abuse, neglect. Um, we've tried to broaden that really in line with where I suppose the, the research needs to go. We know adverse, adversity in the home is, is obviously really important, but also young people can experience adversity in other contexts like the peer context. What we found is um, 
over half of our young people reported, and this is self-report, self-report, reported experiencing ad- some form of adver- adversity, um, typically, I suppose, within the family environment or, or the peer environment. Um, teasing, for example, was the most common uh, form of uh, adversity. Arguments with parents or witnessing conflict amongst parents was another commonly reported form of adver- adversity. The experience of being rejected by your friends uh, was, I think, the fourth highest uh, form of of adversity and generally I suppose what we we find is that the experience of adversity is a risk factor for mental health um, and and well-being Um, but what we also found is it it can depend on on the type of adversity that young people can experience and the group that consistently I guess were at higher risk were those who experienced adversity or trauma in both the peer context, i.e. in the context of their friendship groups or peer groups, but also in the context of the family environment. So young people who are experiencing uh, trauma or adversity in both peers and families were actually at, at highest risk and tended to have poorer outcomes in terms of mental health, well-being, uh, but also self-harm. So, for example, uh, we found those who experienced adversity in both peers and family environments were 30 times more likely to self-harm in comparison to the group who we identified as having low experience of, of adversity. And that's, I guess, one particularly striking finding. Uh, they're obviously a priority group, I, I think, from in terms of the implications of our research. Those who are experiencing adversity across multiple settings are a really important priority group because of the poor mental health that we're observing amongst that group. Well, when we use the word adversity, we, we use it fairly lightly at times, so we do. But when you look mm-hmm. at the, the uh, true definition of it, it says adverse uh, fortune or fate. A condition marked with by misfortune, calamity, or distress. Uh, friends mm-hmm. show their true colours in times of adversity, and a, an adverse or unfortunate event or circumstance as well. So it's kind, of, it's really broad there. But when you put misfortune, calamity, and distress together, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's it's tough to try as a young person to cope with all of that. Yeah, there's been a lot more focus, thankfully, on the experience of stressful or or traumatic events in in young people's lives. There's a um, a really large body of scientific evidence regarding how it can impact on health and well-being, both physical health and mental health. In this particular study, we're looking at more mental health outcomes. but in terms of what we know, I suppose, by brain development uh, in children and in, in young people, we know uh, adverse experiences that cause stress and trauma can impact on young people's brain development, which which also which I guess lead into health health outcomes uh, for young people. So stress and hardship can alter the brain architecture, uh, and we know early childhood and we know adolescence are really key periods uh, for this. And, and parents and siblings and family members don't do it. I would think, you know, out of badness. Perhaps it's the situation that they find themselves in. Um, but if they thought that it was having, I mean, because this survey, that's why we're giving it so much time this morning, uh, Dr. Heary, because if people knew the damage that's been done to young people by the actions of adults or other family members or teasing, as, as you've outlined, and or otherwise, they wouldn't do it when they see the long-term effect that it's having on them. Or they shouldn't do it, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think I suppose I think it's important that we think about this through, I suppose, what I call a, a system lens. That it's not about blaming either the young person or, or the parent, but thinking about as a society and a, as a community, how are we supporting families and how are we supporting uh, young people? Um, we know, so you know, we know, stay safe, stable 
nurturing relationships are fundamentally important for children and young people. Um, and so supporting families to, to nurture those kind of relationships with, with young people uh, are really key. We also need to try and prevent um, stressors occurring, I suppose, that overwhelm families and that impact parents' capacity to, to parent. So there are there is a need for community supports and a broader systems perspective to support uh, young people, but also their, their families. Absolutely. Where can people get further details on this, uh, by the way? And will you be um, supplying it indeed to the HSE locally and nationally? Um, because, I mean, it's, it's a great body of work to have. 15,129 teenagers uh, took part in the survey. I mean, I don't know of any other survey in the, by the census uh, that would have that type of, uh, fi- those type of figures. Uh, yes, we, we will be working hard to, to uh, ensure as many people as possible are aware of the, the, the findings. I think they're a really key asset for our local and regional community. Uh, we've been collaborating with um, Planet Youth, but also the National Suicide Research Foundation and the HSE. The report is publicly available at the moment on the Child and Family Research Centre website with it within the university. Um, and there, there's a, a, a report that anybody can, can download on, on the website and we're happy to share it with anybody who needs it. And can I ask you just finally, Dr. Caroline uh, Heary, are you surprised with the findings? Uh, I've been working in this space for, for many years. So um, even before the pandemic came, we, we, we knew from the international statistics that there was an increase in youth mental health difficulties. It's not just happening in Ireland, but it's it's a global phenomenon. Um, and, and we're seeing, I suppose, that we haven't returned to pre-pandemic levels of well-being uh, from the, this survey. Um, the stats are always concerning, certainly when you look at the self-harm statistics, where about 32% of young people are, are self-reporting uh, an experience of self-harm over the course of their lives. That, that, that always causes concern. And I mm-hmm. suppose our message is, you know, we need resources to, to support families. We need resources to, to prevent uh, these occurrences. And we need early interventions when, when young people and their families are struggling. Keep up the good work and thank you for joining us uh, to Dr. Caroline Heary, UNESCO Child and Family Research Centre at the University of Galway. And uh, thank you for joining us uh, today in the programme. Comment lines open if you don't want to get through to us uh, today. Um, you can do so. Uh, just text us to 86 That's the uh, number there. Or call Fiona on 91 as well. Short commercial break. Uh, some good news for those who uh, use the N59 perhaps next. Yeah, very good morning to you. Welcome in to today's programme 9.28 on this uh, Thursday morning. The sun is shining in Sandy Road and there's a big, big dark sky uh, in and over uh, Connemara. Now, we got a letter, so we did, uh, during the week in relation to road safety and the N59. And I'm writing in regard, indeed, to the bend at Killing House, Bushy Park, where there was a fatal collision, RIP, before Christmas. A number of years ago, there was also fatalities at this bend. However, there are no arrow signs uh, put there or other safety measures that I'm aware of. I've been in touch with Galway County Council several times since 2018 regarding the opposite side of the road where there are unstable walls, large trees on top of wall area and flooded at uh, this bend. The engineers have looked at it and said there was going to be ongoing checks on that side of the road. The frequent flooding across the area must have affected the surface of the road. I've been in touch with Galway County Council about the uh, side of the road where accidents have taken place to see 
What is the assessment and what measures are being taken under Galway County Council's remit in this regard? Uh, following the accident, as I understand that road safety on the N59 is their responsibility. I see over the weekend, uh, this uh, caller said, I see over the weekend uh, that tarpaulin has been put around the pillar outside Killing House and it looks like uh, that's because um, part of it may be falling over. And the letter writer continues, many of us using the road on a daily basis are wondering uh, why there has been no signage slash bollards at the site uh, since the accident. I'm hoping to keep in touch uh, with you all in relation to the N59, really, from Bronzegrove to uh, Glenlow Abbey. The road is not great. Also, another tragedy happened at uh, Kirkullen, and again, no yellow arrows uh, or signs have been put up there either. I think the safety on the N59 from the Mycullen bypass into town needs to be looked at and looked at uh, very quickly uh, today. And the letter writer goes on to say, we know that there are other factors uh, in road fatalities, but the safety of the road itself and the signage has to be as good as it can be with all of our young people and others using these roads. And um, they just go on then from there. Uh, Deputy, uh, sorry, Senator Sean Kine joins me on the line. He's been putting a lot of work into this. So, Sean, you got that letter as well as the uh, local councillors that I've just read out there. Uh, but again, it's, it's very well written and it does raise an awful lot of matters that need to be dealt with. Um, it does, Keith. And um, unfortunately, we've had a bit of back and forth in relation to the Killeen Bins project. Apologies, those are bells of the, the Shanna that are ringing That's there. That's okay. That means uh, you're at work. That's fine. <laughs> they'll, stop a, they'll stop in a moment. Um, and I, I, I suppose there's been some parts of, of um, back and forth with Transport Infrastructure Ireland in relation to this project. Um, as you know, Keith, living locally there, um, the, the intersection of the old Galway outer bypass was supposed to be around there so yeah. nothing was been done while that was in planning and as you know that was in planning a long time and then they weren't sure till the Galway City Ring Road routes were published and that was lifted if you like um, and and, and um, they could consider projects there again in relation to Killeen Bins and as far back as I think it's the May of 2019 you know they had designs done for a realignment of those bins on the lake side uh, of the existing N59, so below the existing bins um, and coming out then on the Galway side of the Gertha Junction. So those designs were done. They had um, approached landowners. There was work done um, in relation to engaging uh, on that matter. Mm. And um, then when they went to Transport Infrastructure Ireland, um, whether it was under the new minister or not, I don't know, uh, but when they went to Transport Infrastructure Ireland, um, there was a reappraisal of this. Uh, they felt that the project was uh, too large and it would require an amount of environmental um, studies, if you like. Um, so... Um, they've, they went back to Transport Infrastructure Ireland and Transport Infrastructure Ireland, who uh, are in charge of that road, ha- have basically recommended a, a smaller project, uh, which is mainly around the Gertha Junction. So improvements at the Gertha Junction and a realignment of the N59 there for around, I think, 220 metres around the Gertha so, Junction. So, so not the Killing Corner then? Not the Killing Corner, Gertha Junction. Um, well, of course, the Junction. If you're coming from town, you just turn left. If you're coming from my Cullen, you turn right, and you just you just pull up there until you get clearance to turn right up there. So, I mean, Killing Corner yeah. surely is is in a worse condition than the Gertrude turn off. It is, um, but I suppose. Well, look, the Gertrude 
they, they had the health inspectors, if you like, out from Transport Infrastructure Ireland there, and it is, so they they, they, they did pull up and they watched, I suppose, a car might stop in the N59 to turn right, coming from my column and turn right onto Gartacleva, and a car might come at speed behind and suddenly have to brake. So yeah. they felt that was dangerous, and it is dangerous, and there's, it is, there's, yeah. there's oh, sort it is, of a yeah. blind hill. So they... Um, they, they decided that that was the part of the project that they wanted uh, to do, which is, look, and I welcome that, and they hope to go to a board panola in the coming weeks um, on that. They had hoped to go before this, but they hoped in the coming weeks to go to a board panola uh, for permission uh, so for that. When, but when, do you think, when do you think this will be sorted, John? Um, well, that section can be sorted if if the board granted that section can be can be sorted quite quickly. Uh, there'll be funding received can be got under under health and safety okay. um, improvements. In relation to the bigger project, as I said, there was a design done. Um, I've seen it. Um, it's come back to 2019. It it, it shows um, you know realignment on the lakeside, taking out the two bad bins, which would improve safety for the okay. the, the homeowners in the area as well as obviously yeah. local people. So you might just keep on top of it for us, if you don't mind, and come back to us with a, a resolution to it, because, uh, again, it's people being exercised. I, I don't think that, the, I think the tarpaulin that's on it is the repair that was done to the pillar uh, at the yeah. house there. So I, do, I don't think, I think that so. it's, it's not falling apart. But anyway, we seek guidance no. elsewhere on that. It's a busy day for you, but thanks, Sean, for taking our call today. But again, if just we'd ask you to slow down coming into that general area, if you don't mind, just slow down. That's uh, Senator Sean Kind there joining us on the line in relation to it. And that turn-off, by the way, for the Kirkullen Junction is absolutely lethal, 100% lethal. If you're coming from my Cullen and you want to turn right up to the drum pitches there, unfortunately, it is absolutely dangerous in the way people drive as well. Anyway, uh, political indications suggest that the latest RT legal advice makes it clear that confidentiality clauses uh, covering payments to departed executives uh, cannot be breached uh, without taking a court order. I think we all know about that. Deputy Neve Smith uh, joins me on the line and she's chair indeed of the uh, Media Committee and she's done a great job, I have to say, and we've spoken about it a good few times on this programme, but she joins me on the line today. Uh, Deputy Smith, good morning to you. Good morning to you and your listeners. Thanks indeed for joining us. If you want to give up politics, you could take on prime time so you could, the way you're questioning all of these people. You're not letting them get away with anything. <laughs> Well, it's been it has been a tough a tough couple of months to be honest with you, but um, more t- difficult probably for the witnesses than it has been for the members. <clears throat> but hopefully, we are coming to some kind of a conclusion. I mean, mm-hmm. it may not be, we may not get all the answers that we want. We may not get the full outcome that we would like. But I think hopefully we will leave RT in a much better shape in terms of its um, transparency, its governance and its oversight for the public and for the minister and the government who have to make big decisions on the future funding of RTE in the near, very near future. Now, the news last evening coming out of uh, the Fine Gael uh, enclave, indeed, the white smoke that came out, uh, was in relation to the Taoiseach Leo Radcliffe speaking about that RTE um, is outside the remit of the Controller and, and Auditor General um, but may go into it in some form or go back into depots or somewhere from there. Uh, is there a need for that tight look at the ongoing finances? Because it's going to be very difficult for them, surely, if it is that tight. I think it would be important and I think it's it's a good idea and would be a good move for the government. And I'll tell you why. I, I think 
that the biggest problem for RT and the biggest problem facing RT is public confidence. It has eroded and been a corrosive uh, couple of months for them yeah. uh, with the various revelations, with the toy show, the musical, the exit packages, the lack of over oversight and governance um, that the board uh, had over the uh, executive and the organisation in its entirety. And um, we've seen huge depletion there's been on the TV licence. Now, that said... I'd be the first to say and recognise the fact that the TV licence way of of contributing to public service broadcasting um, isn't working anymore. It is outdated and that it does, a new way of doing that has to be yeah. modernised. And I think that the government's accepting of all that. But that said, I think that the... Um, the controller and order general bringing RTE in under its watch could only be a useful mechanism to instill confidence in the public and the government, as I said, who have to make big decisions on how they fund RTE and other public service broadcasters Absolutely. like your good selves into the future, whom they haven't been in a position to do up to this point. And it's really important that we move on from this from RTE, that that funding decision and mechanism can be introduced because there are more organisations than RTE doing public service broadcasting just like Galway Bay or Northern Sound or various other of the more regional um, organisations who do give good public broad public service broadcasting it is important that they get a slice of the pie yeah. from uh, the government into the future Well when you look at the when, when you look at uh, RTE indeed and I mean my heart goes out to Kevin Backhurst he came in to sort out a problem as did the new chair come in to sort out a problem that other people caused and for medical reasons and and everything else and they're not in a position, indeed, uh, to rock up, indeed, to the uh, media commission and and, and uh, media committee and sit with you. And but I mean, some some of the questioning by some of your members has been has been very strong. I have to say, the likes of Alan Dillon, Kieran Cannon, and others, including yourself, um, you have left a stone unturned on this one, and it must be very difficult for the witnesses. Yeah, and it has to be said, you know, the the my colleagues that you've just mentioned and others did an incredible job in their preparation, in their questioning and their diligence to the issues that were faced within RTE. It hasn't been an easy couple of months for the for the witnesses or for RTE, and it's been a difficult couple of months also for the Oireachtas members to get themselves completely briefed on the goings on within RTE. Um, that they, they, they use their time wisely within those hearings. Um, it may seem that they're very long, protracted hearings, but when it comes down to it with so many witnesses and so many um, Oireachtas members on it, each member, um, such as Deputy Kieran Cannon there in Galway, might only have 10 or 15 minutes in the entire yeah. hearing. So they have to use it wisely. And they did do that, and they have elicited some really important information that wasn't that forthcoming. I mean, in times before this, they often came in before the media committee, but we never never really felt we were getting to the heart of what was going on within the organisation. We had a sense, uh, to be honest with you, that the working relationship with the executive and with the board wasn't a very collegiate one. And that did all come to pass to be fairly accurate, but it only right. came to pass because of the revelations themselves and the payments with in Ryan Torberty. And that kind of was the catalyst for all the other um, issues that we got to delve into and explore more thoroughly with RTE. So I do hope and I do feel we're going to be leaving RTE in a much more, um, in a new chapter. It's a difficult one for them, as I said, but hopefully into the future, it's going to be one that will give the governance the oversight that it will and, and insists that the board... I mean, to be fair to the board, it became very clear to me they weren't being given the information no. by the executive. No. And that made it impossible for them to do their work. And you have a new GG who is 
you know, has a really, really difficult job, a very unenviable job, because he has huge changes to make within RT. Not only all of these revelations has he to, had to deal with, get to the bottom of himself, and then provide the answers to the minister and the committees. He now has a body of work to do with the over 1,500 staff within RT to regain their confidence, their trust, and with the general public. So it's not an, an easy job. And I hope that the Oireachtas Committee hearings have been helpful in helping okay. him to make the changes that need to be made within RTE. And have you full confidence in Kevin Backhurst and Shuni Garland? I do indeed. I think they have been faced and come in at a very difficult time, as I said. And there was a very different culture uh, within the organisation before uh, Shuni Rahley took over as chair of the of the. Um, of the board, and she has absolutely insisted on bringing those the, the, the revelations that we've yeah. seen, the secret payments and all of that, to the attention of the minister. Um, and that okay. must have been difficult, and difficult as a newbie to the organisation to uh, dealing with a board that, for some of them, have been there a long time and, you know, were used to um, not being given the information and, and, and a different way of working. So I think okay. they are a breath of fresh air. As I said, I think they have a very difficult time uh, and a couple of months ahead of them to pick up the pieces um, of what's been left behind by previous members of the executive and the board. Okay. And um, we have to wish them well in doing that because our public service broadcaster, as an RT, is hugely, hugely hugely important to our democracy, which is quite okay. fragile globally at the moment. And we can see how Ireland's been impacted on that too. So we really do need them to succeed. All right. We'll let you go this with this comment. Uh, Keith Neve Smith and others you mentioned are great interviewers and treated the RTE executives with respect. Thank you to her sincerely. There you go. Oh, thank you for thank joining you us. Much. Deputy thank Neve Smith, much. thank you so much for joining us uh, today on the programme. Quick commercial break. We're looking at mental health again next. <laughs> A very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. While Aware is offering peer-to-peer support for adults experiencing depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety and related mood conditions. And they do so in Galway. But Aware's Clinical Director, Dr Susan Brannick, joins me on the line. Uh, Dr Brannick, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us uh, today. This this is a, an Aware group indeed that's there for people, a self-care group for people uh, in Galway. And people can go along. It's free of charge for them. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the group runs every Wednesday at seven o'clock. And really, I suppose it's a space for people who might be experiencing problems with depression, anxiety, any any mood condition really to, I suppose, to go somewhere that's non- a non-medical setting and to meet people who might have similar experiences just to be able to talk in an open but also a confidential space about what's going on for them and, and hear from other people about what's been helpful um, and share those experiences. I suppose what we know about depression depression really is that it can be incredibly isolating you know so maybe one of the more difficult parts of experiencing depression is feeling like the, you're the only person who's experiencing this mm-hmm. um, and maybe feeling very hopeless and alone with that so really what we found in our support groups is that kind of bringing people to be- together and being able to connect with someone who has a who has an understanding to some extent of what you might be going through can be really helpful that first step of connecting can be can be a step back to recovery as well so it can be really helpful for people who might be really struggling at the moment. And can I ask you, to identify the difference between depression and just feeling not yourself, um, is there any trigger factors that one should say, oh, hang on a second, that is depression, not just I'm down and down the dumps or somebody has annoyed me? Yeah. 
Yeah, sure. And I think it's a really good question, actually, because there is a difference between feeling um, a bit low, as you said, or a bit fed up, um, or maybe feeling kind of disappointed over the course of a day. We're going to have loads of different emotions. That's really normal. I suppose in depression, though, it's a it's a pervasive feeling of low mood. So in AWARE, we use the, um, the acronym FESTIVAL just as a way to kind of have a bit of a sense of what the symptoms might be so people can know what to look out for. So the, the F in festival is feeling. So obviously feeling maybe very sad, feeling anxious, guilty, feeling a lot of shame. And again, that's not just kind of passing feelings, but if those feelings are really kind of there kind of week after week, that's one indication. We know that kind of people's energy can be very low when they're feeling depressed. So maybe feeling very tired and not really feeling well rested after having slept, so feeling fatigued. Um, so sleeping is another main kind of symptom of depression. Again, if you're noticing kind of significant changes in your sleeping, either that whether that's kind of not being able to get to sleep or waking up early kind of day after day, that's something to be looking out for. A, kind of a, a huge thing is depre in depression is noticing a change in thinking. So whether noticing that your thoughts are starting to get quite dark or you're th thinking very negatively about yourself, about your future, about other people. And again, we're thinking about kind of changes in these areas. So if you're generally kind of a fairly uh, balanced person or mm. kind of feeling balanced and you're kind of thinking and optimistic and you're noticing actually you're seeing the world through quite quite uh, dark glasses that might be an indication that something is, is kind of really going on and maybe then also thinking about kind of feeling low self-esteem as well as kind of physical aches and pains that don't generally have a physical basis so it kind of all of those signs maybe together as well as maybe a bit of a loss of interest not really enjoying what you're doing anymore if, if you're noticing a, a good few of them over the last couple of weeks it might be a good indication that maybe something needs attention so that might be about kind of connecting out with a friend or it might be about reaching out for help with your GP. I suppose the message we would have it aware as well is, is kind of it's really important to to connect out for help. That can be the yeah. first step in making a huge change. And again, there's no stigma attached to it. Mind you, there might be in people's heads or, or, or otherwise. But I mean, I mean, no more than mental health, no more than physical health, no more than having a cold or otherwise. It's an illness and it's an illness that has to be dealt with and there should be absolutely no stigma attached to it. Mm, yeah, and we're certainly seeing huge changes in stigma in Ireland over the years, you know. So kind of we know that m many, many people will ex have some experience of depression or you may well ha know someone or, you know, a family member, a friend or a loved one who, who has experienced depression. So it, it kind of affects us all in one way or another. And um, we'll all have some experience where we where we kind of have, have contact with that. And, and I guess we're getting better as a, as a culture in terms of having these more difficult conversations. Mm. We know we, so in a way, we run groups across the country so so all over they're really well attended you know sometimes i think maybe the difficulty can be the taking the first step yourself and oftentimes we have kind of a lot of thoughts in our mind about what people might think about or, or say about us and i suppose they're often not not the case when mm. we actually do the thing so I would maybe say if someone's kind of really wondering about mm, should I go to the group or am I bad enough or or what will people think, maybe maybe have a look at the website as a first step, you know, at where.ie. You'll find a lot more information about what happens in the groups um, as well as the one we have in Galway uh, at 7 on Wednesdays. We also have online groups um, if you can't get out in person. So there's lots of different options. Um, this isn't something, I guess, if, if someone's feeling... 
as I said, maybe that they're the only person who might be experiencing that. That's not the case. This mm. is maybe going to affect all of us at one point or another in our lives in some shape or form. So it's really important maybe if you are struggling to, to talk to somebody. So the group meets then on a Wednesday in Galway City indeed and uh, at seven o'clock. Um, again, location-wise, what's the best way of them finding out or do they just w- walk up to the location in question? Sure, yeah. So it's on Mill Street. Um, have a look at our website. We ask that people register just so we have a, a bit of a knowledge of who's coming. It's a, it's a it's an anonymous confidential group, so it's only your first name. The reason that we ask people to register is just so we know kind of for numbers mm-hmm. um, so we can plan a bit. If, if you can't do that, that's fine too, though. Just come along. Um, so have a look at the website for, for kind of more details on so it. But I would really encourage you to people to, to kind of or to, to come along to the group or we also have a support line that if you're not kind of sure about the group you can kind of get more information there as well that's uh, 1800 848. Now the location again is Crean of so it's just up from the guard station in Mill Street on the right hand side an absolutely beautiful building yeah. I have to say um, but that's mm. they can get further details from there so get there before 7 o'clock on a Wednesday or go to the Aware website or ring that number indeed uh, that uh, Dr. Brannick has given us can I just ask you about bipolar disorder uh, anxiety and related mood conditions I mean, there's three other conditions there. We've focused on depression, um, bipolar disorder, anxiety and mood conditions. Again, how do you encapsulate all of those into a, a meeting on a Wednesday night? Sure, yeah. Um, I suppose the meeting is, is kind of based on, on what people are going to bring. So even apart from a diagnosis, someone might just be coming and saying they've had a bad week yeah. or a difficult day. So I suppose it's 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 more about having a space to talk through what's been going on for the person and hear other people's experiences. Uh, certainly on bipolar, if, if people are interested in kind of learning more about that, or if they have someone in their life who has that diagnosis or indeed if they have it themselves, do have a look at our website. So we run um, a education program. That's an eight-week program delivered by a mental health professional. So it's a bit different to the Wednesday group in that um, it's for people specifically with a diagnosis of bipolar just around kind of understanding that diagnosis and and living well with it. So all the different information that can be helpful to look after it. We also have a relatives and friends group where, so if you you are kind of in a relationship with someone who might be experiencing those difficulties, it's it's a space for you as well. So there's loads of different support for people who might want to know a bit more um, or maybe who want a bit of help for themselves or for other people. So all of that information is on our website as well. So definitely encourage people to have a look. But um, the group on the Wednesday isn't isn't necessarily diagnosis led yeah. so if you're struggling and you're feeling low I mean do come along it's an open door uh, policy you know so you don't need to have had that diagnosis necessarily from somebody if you know yourself that you want to speak to someone about how you're doing I would suggest maybe coming along to the group and, and seeing how it goes yeah and again correct me if I'm wrong finally here Dr. Susan Brannick from AWARE um To those listening to us today that may feel that they're depressed or they're down or whatever the the mental state is, there is help out there for you. There's light at the end of the tunnel, Um, and Mm. it's just to get it's just to get to that help. And don't be afraid to ask for it. Yeah, absolutely. In Aware, certainly, we really believe that that the recovery is possible. It's often about the first step. So if 
if you're listening to this and thinking, well, some of that maybe sounds relevant to me or, or where would I go to for help? Obviously, as we always saying, the, the phone line with aware, but also maybe your GP as well. Um, GPs are quite used to having these conversations with people. This is, you wouldn't be the first person who's come in and said kind of you're struggling or feeling stressed or feeling quite low. Um, there, there are, there is help out there. And I guess the first step is, is starting to have that conversation. Your GP may well have had that conversation with six other people that day. So mm-hmm. it may not just be you who's having that experience. So they will be able to support you in terms of um, linking you in with the relevant kind of support services. So I really would encourage people to to take that first step. Um, you don't have to suffer alone and there is help available to, to kind of make things better and to improve. So the telephone line again, Dr. Brandon, if you don't mind. Sure, it's 1800 80 48 48. So we have that open 10 in the morning till 10 in the evening. All right, thank you so much for joining us. And again, that meeting takes place on a Wednesday. The local group meeting uh, takes place in Crean and Gallivet, uh, just up from the uh, guard station as you're heading towards St. Joseph's Church there. Uh, again, 7 o'clock, get there for about 6.45. And if you can register on the AWARE website in advance, that, that would be wonderful. Uh, Dr. Susan Brannick, thank you indeed for joining us today on the programme. Thank you very much. Thank you.